Okay, so <laughs> this is the official forgiveness episode. I was threatening to record and, and talk about forgiveness in my previous episode, but I ended up getting distracted by giving an update about online dating and meeting a really cool guy who it feels could be the pattern breaker. <laughs> and that was way more exciting to me, obviously, than talking about forgiveness. Um, but we finally made it to the actual episode about forgiveness. So let's do it. Let's let's talk about this. Um, why am I here? I had a conversation with a friend earlier this week, actually, about um, forgiveness. And is it really necessary? There was something I had posted on social media, on my Instagram stories. And they replied. And we ended up in this whole conversation about, well, you know, what is forgiveness? And the post was talking about not making survivors of trauma or people who have been the victims of horrible acts and outcomes um, beholden to their uh, perpetrators or abusers um, to forgive them. And I firmly believe that you don't know anyone, you don't owe anyone anything, and that you, uh, forgiveness is something that you do for yourself. But as I was preparing to you know, record this episode, I went online and I googled the definition of forgiveness because I realized that the way that I tend to think about forgiveness may not be what the actual definition is. Like, I tend to think about forgiveness and I think that when people talk about it, they kind of think about it in a similar way, um, which is that forgiveness is this thing that puts the person who did something to you off the hook. It's kind of saying, um, I forgive you, it's fine, we move on, you know? But there is an aspect to that. And, 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 and a lot of like therapists, religions, etc., will say that the only way to find peace, the only way to heal, the only way to move on is by forgiving. And in my mind, that hasn't always felt true. Because I have felt like I have achieved a great deal of healing without forgiving in the way that I was thinking about forgiveness, which was, I think, a little bit mixed up with, um, what's the word I want? Like holding it against the person a little bit, you know, and like resentment and um, bitterness and the, a sense of like, unrelenting it was not okayness <laughs> about something that someone did right and like feeling like you're holding them to the shit thing that they did to you you know and I've always felt that it is possible to move on to grow to um, move yourself towards different outcomes despite not necessarily forgiving, provided you aren't bitter and and kind of like holding this whole thing against the person, right? So to me, forgiveness kind of felt like it was saying to the person, it's okay, um, I no longer hold it against you. But I still hold the things that people who've hurt me against them. Like, I, I still feel like they shouldn't have done those things to me. I still feel like they should have shown up differently because I feel like, for me certainly, and I don't know if this is true for you, when I have too hastily forgiven, quote-unquote, or like, quote-unquote, let something go, because people are like, let it go, it's the past, it's done, 
right? I've then kind of fallen into this weird murky water of saying, it's fine what you did. It's okay that you treated me that way or um, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. It will always matter. And it should never have happened. It doesn't matter who you were or how hurt you were or how um, damaged you may have been at the time or the fact that you didn't know better. Even though you didn't know better, you shouldn't have done that to me. Like what you did was not cool, right? And so I went and I Googled this thing. And what's interesting is that the official definition of forgiveness is not the way that I've been thinking about forgiveness. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Because I took a screenshot because my phone has to be on airplane mode when I record. So let me pull up this photo and read it to you because I think it's fascinating, right? And it starts speaking to more of... Yeah, let me just read it to you and then I'll, I'll talk about what it's been bringing up for me. So forgiveness says in the Oxford Dictionary, it means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw or mistake. E.g. I'll never forgive David for the way he treated her. Other um, further explanations are no longer feeling angry about or wishing to punish an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. Canceling, e.g. canceling a debt. Uh, the last one is used in polite expressions as a request to excuse one's foibles. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, but to excuse one's foibles, ignorance, or impoliteness. You'll have to forgive my suspicious mind as an example. Okay, so... Some of the synonyms are to pardon, to excuse, to exonerate, to overlook, to disregard. I don't like the excusing. I don't like the overlooking and I don't like the disregarding because that to me puts someone off the hook. I think we're always on the hook for the things that we did. That is why we must grow. That's why we must change. That's why we must be sorry. That's why we must make things right when we have made them wrong, right? That's where restitution does matter. Uh, rebalancing does matter. Reparation does matter. And the aspects to the definition of forgiveness that feels like it like um, no longer requires those things. But I don't agree with that. What I do agree with, however, is the piece around to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. That is the piece that I think is absolutely essential for growth. And that's the thing you do for yourself. Like you don't forgive for someone else, you forgive for yourself. Because you actually can't move on if you, if you sit in anger, resentment, and um, holding the way someone is against them forever. Because that's choosing not to live in reality um, when you're holding uh, an aspect of someone against them. It's refusing to accept who they are, and that's unloving, right? Um, I think, however, that sometimes there's this tyranny of forgiveness that's lauded over people, and you, you know, people who say, no, I won't forgive them, can then be portrayed as bad people, or immature, or flawed, or vindictive, or... Um, unevolved if 
they are holding that stance, and I don't think that's true. Number two, I don't think that forgiveness is a prerequisite for growth because I think that you can say, um, I will accept what you did and I will forever hold that it's not okay. But I accept what you did so that I am not charged about it anymore. And when I'm not charged about it anymore, then I'm able to heal, right? And I'm able to go deep within and, you know, I'm released from that emotion. And I can go deep within and look at things like, well, what did I contribute to the situation? And I can start working on that, right? What has it shown me about what matters the most to me? What is my reaction or response or feeling as a result of what this person has done shown me about what I need to safeguard or what I need more of or what I need to stand for or what I need to protect for myself, right? Which is the same as safeguard. Like, I think that becomes useful when you're discharged, like emotionally discharged about a situation or emotionally neutral. And so I think the purpose of forgiveness, the greatest purpose of forgiveness is to take you from a limited space into a more expansive space so that from that expansive space, you can create more for yourself. You can grow, you can um, choose, you can take the other person out of the equation and focus on the things that you can control, which is you. Because the thing is when we are sitting in resentment and like continuously holding something against someone, in a debilitating way, we put ourselves into their story and our focus becomes on them and it's not on us. And we can't control someone else. We're trying to control their behavior. We're trying to control the outcome. We're trying to change what the outcome was as if like, if we punish this person enough, it will make it so that it, ha it never happened. But that's a fallacy. It's a trap that we fall into that just distracts us from the harder work of the grieving that we sometimes need to do to accept what happens. The um, going within and sitting with the inner parts that have been de deeply affected by this experience. And I think that more than anything, that is the purpose of forgiveness, the way that people who say, oh, you must forgive, um, I think possibly that is what they're getting at, you know? And so, one of the things that I've just been really, uh, that I grasped, there were two things, two things that have been said to me or, or that I've encountered that have really helped me when it comes to this whole forgiveness thing. One piece was something that Oprah said, which wasn't, it is not attributed to her. The concept isn't attributed to her. I think it's attributed to someone, Graham, someone who was on her show, who he has a book that has a red and white cover. You see, these are the things I remember. I don't remember the names of people <laughs> or the titles of their work because <laughs> my brain is not like detail-oriented in that way. It's more, vi it's more visual um, than it is verbal. But I remember her saying, forgiveness is letting go of the wish that things had been different. And often when I say this to myself, I replace wish with dream. Like it's um, letting go of the dream that things had been different. This was pivotal to me being able to forgive my dad. I mean, my dad, in my mind, has been the biggest aggressor of my life. He has now, in some ways, been eclipsed by my mom <laughs> because, 
because I think my dad was just distracting me from all the shit my mom had done, right? And now that he's gone, it's like, okay, we can move on to the next one, which is the mother wound, right? Everyone has a father and a mother wound. No matter who you are, no matter how you grew up, everyone has one. And it's more about the nature of that wounding for you. And... um I shouldn't say that. I'm not a therapist. Maybe you don't have a mother or a father wound. And I love that for you. God bless you. I wish I was you. But most people I know have one or both of those. And so when I say this about my mother's da 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 da, da I'm not mad at my mom, right? I don't hate my mom. I don't think she's a terrorist. Like, I am actually, I really love my mom. And we have a good relationship because I'm not engaging with her on the terms of who she is. And this is what I was about to talk about, about my dad. And when I say a great relationship, I mean that it's not emotionally fraught in day-to-day interactions. With my dad, what I had to do was to sit down and say, Tenji, there is no other father. <laughs> there is no other Dr. Kompo James Moyana who's gonna come and love you. He's not gonna come and like, we're gonna go back to when I was 14 and he's gonna come and pick you up on time after your hockey matches. He is gonna come four hours late. That's what he's always gonna do. He's gonna forget you. Like my dad forgot me once at school at, at the end of term. And I had to sleep there overnight <laughs> because my mom was out of town. And my dad, I mean, who knows where the fuck his brain was. But then I was picked up the next day and not even by him. I think the next day I was picked up by a driver. Guys, oh, the heartbreak at the hand of Combo James Moyana. But um, I actually, like when Oprah said this and I went and I watched the little video of it and I remember watching it twice or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, babe, there is no other childhood. There is no other hockey match where he comes on time. There is no other experience where you aren't caught in the middle of two fighting parents. There is no other version of your life, right? There is no other Combo James Moyana. He has these characteristics. He is this person. And if he was not this person, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't exist. So you need to sit down and look and like open your eyes and let go. You need to let go of the fact that it happened. You need to let go of your fantasy of whatever little dream of a relationship or parental guidance system or whatever that you have been holding on to so tightly for your whole life. You need to let that shit go and you need to sit and look at this person and let him be who he is, right? And accept that there is no new past story, right? That was hard, guys. The grieving, the grieving I had to do was so deep, but that was the piece on this Oxford Dictionary definition that brought me so much release. It was the acceptance, right? And acceptance was accepting that the past couldn't have been different. But then there was a second thing that was game-changing for me. And the source of that game-changing shift was actually my, my father-in-law, who said, not my father-in-law, what am I saying? My brother-in-law, my sister's husband, who said to me, I remember Fanai, we were like hanging out, obviously I was bitching about something about my dad, or we were all bitching about something about my dad. And he was like, yeah, but guys, that's who he is. You know, so it's like, when you expect that of him, you set him up for failure. So why are you doing it? And it was the first time that I had this crystalline clarity to be able to see how my refusal to forgive and my desire to keep, you know, twisting the knife in my father's side, 
The knife that said you're a disappointment, you are a shit father, you are never there for me, you're always late, you're never present, you always cancel, you are a shit father, right? And I do that over and over every time I set him up to be who he is, right? When I say, okay, um, I'm going to do this thing and I want you to come at this time and I'm going to almost make it impossible for you to come at this time. I, I wouldn't do that on purpose, right? Like I would be setting stages that he would always fail on, right? Which is like saying, if Baba comes late, I'll be mad and I'll hate him and it's a sign that he doesn't love me. Instead of saying Baba comes late because he struggles to choose who to disappoint. And unfortunately, I always end up being the one that he's disappointing, but it's because he's maybe he's just struggling to make that choice or he's not good at time management. So if I want to hang out with Baba, maybe the best way to hang out with him is, you know, when I see him or to stop desiring to hang out with him so that I stop being disappointed when he doesn't make time to hang out with me because there's never time, right? He's always at a meeting or he's always out. And so I had to learn to manage my expectations so that I would no longer expect things of Baba that he couldn't do. And this helped me so much. And the way that Fanai said it to me, it was said with so much love. Like I have no words for how lovingly he said this to me. And it was beautiful because from there, it just felt like, wow, is there a world in which if I'm able to let go of the things Baba cannot be, I can then embrace and at least have the things he is? Because the reality is like holding him to this impossible bar was blocking my ability to have the things he was able to meet, right? To, to be able to have his insight. The fact that, you know, he's gentle with us when we're sick, which mama isn't, right? Um, if he was public enemy number one, even if he comes and he's trying to be like, shame, I'm so sorry you're sick, what do you need? Shall I go get your eyes? And Baba will dote on you, no matter how old you are. He'll go get your eyes, he'll go get your painkillers, he'll drive you to the doctor, he'll, he'll do what he needs to do because that just pulls at his heartstrings in a major way, right? And I would be unable to receive that because I would be mad about him not being on time. And so what Fanai helped me to do in that moment was to love the real person. To like stop hating, stop being in love with the fake person that didn't exist in my mind and start finding a way to love the real person that sat before me. Because I was saying that I want 100, right? And Baba's only 20. And so he lived in constant deficit of the 80. But when I was able to start letting go of the 80, then Baba could be 100% of the 20 that he is. So now I could 100% love him. Do you know what I mean? So there I can say acceptance was like game changing. Game changing for me. However, it did not undo everything that had existed in the past, right? And absolutely I was not about to turn the other cheek and I'm gonna talk about that kind of like at the end, right? Um, the next thing, although I said there were two things, as I was talking I realized that there were three things. Um, the next thing that was game-changing for me that helped me to forgive my beautiful Bali. The Bali is slang for my father. It, it, it's Zim slang for a father. So I call my dad the Bali or the Lulster sometimes. That becomes Arundel slang. <laughs> Arundel was my high school. Um, the third thing that really helped was something that Tans, my sister, said. Um, if you ever see her, don't call her Tans. That's what we call her. 
Her name is Tandi. Um, but she said to me something so profound, which was, and I think she gets to say it in passing, but she was saying, you know, there's a reason Baba's like this. And he also had a really tough childhood. And when you think about what his mom was like, it makes sense that he's the way he is because he didn't get nurture, he didn't get hugs, he didn't get affection. So it's hard for him to bring that and it's hard for him to value that. So when you realize this is what he's been through, you understand that you are engaging with someone who has a heartbreaking past and who has limited capacity. And that helped guys because me, there's one thing, if there's one thing that melts me, it is putting me in someone else's story and then I can understand why they are the way they are. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, of course that would be hard. You poor guy. Like I just saw Baba as this little boy, this little, little boy, wishing he got hugs from his mom and his mom had no time for that. And his dad was a medic, like he was a traveling medic, his father, and he had this bicycle that he'd ride around going to heal people. I mean, you can just imagine what that's like, right? Like you're on your bike, it takes you you know, hours or however long to go from space to space, healing people. Maybe you're coming back late at night, maybe you're leaving in the morning, you're called off for work at, at random times. And you just like, it creates an inherent sense of insecurity in you if you're a kid, because you don't know where your father is half the time and you don't know when he's going to go, you don't know when he's going to come back, right? And then your mom is like hustling to try to take care of you and your many siblings, which was my grandmother. So of course she's going to be like hectic, right? And they've had hardship and being a woman in that time and an African woman in a super patriarchal society and your husband's gone half the time, that's hard, bruh. So like when my sister said that, I was like, oh my God, kick in the empathy. I get it. Now I have a, a story for why my father is the way he is. And when you understand the story and you can say, well, don't I also have a story? Aren't I also bringing things to the table that make me pretty shit in certain situations? And if I can allow myself to have a story and rationale for my behavior, can I allow this person to have the same, right? And so the, com the combination of these three things, accepting that the past could not have been different, um, accepting my father for who he is and letting go of who he's not and empathizing and understanding his story and therefore understanding the limits of his capacity. So letting him love me with the fullness of the capacity he has, game changing guys, game changing. And that is one of the biggest reasons I was able to forgive my father. And one of the things that helps me to press into um, understanding and empathy for my mom and I mean I'm still on the forgiveness journey with my mom oh my god it's so hard but because I, I forgive her in increments and I forgive certain things but because she's still alive yo she's still coming with very real data that I'm just like girl <laughs> you're doing the most this is pretty shit you know but that's the, then the reality of being in a relationship with a person right they will show up with stuff they will bring stuff to the table that you constantly have to negotiate and work through and because i mean my mom's not going to therapy i have to constantly kind of remember she's doing the best she can she really loves me and at the same time have boundaries that protect me so that becomes then the final piece and this is where i don't like where i find the limits 
where I see limits to the current definition of forgiveness and the one that I read, right? When we come to the parts where we say um, we excuse someone's, you know, weaknesses and we choose to overlook, disregard or excuse or exonerate, the, exonerate, I don't like exonerate, but to overlook and disregard evokes in me a, okay, it's fine the way you are, um, so you can keep being the way you are to me. No, absolutely, you cannot keep being the way that you are to me. And I think that that becomes the limits of the forgiveness narrative that I think religions talk about. Like, you know, I'm always talking about Christianity because that's the religion that I was in. I didn't, you know, bother going and researching all the other religions because I'm not trying to be an encyclopedia here. Um, And in Christianity, where I found the limits... And what I didn't like was when someone hurts you, turn the other cheek. Fuck the other cheek. Like, if you hurt me, I yes, I must understand and I must forgive you. I must understand that you're human. I must give you some latitude and some space to be an imperfect human being. But if you repeatedly hurt, hurt me, you will lose access. And you should lose access. Because human behavior is very shit-taking, right? Like, we will... We will um, no, I don't want to say shit-taking. I wanted to say piss-taking. We will take the piss as far as we can until we run out of rope to take more pisses, right? And the only person who can make us run out of rope is the person that we're, we're taking shit on, right? Ugh, guys, these metaphors are not working. <laughs> but the person that we're taking advantage of or, or treating badly. And so it's your responsibility as a person who's being transgressed against by a person by someone else persistently, it's up to you to put a boundary in place and to say, I understand why you are the way that you are. I have compassion for you. I accept who you are and the limits of your personality and your imperfections. And I choose to not put myself in the way of danger by continuing to expose myself to this aspect of yourself, right? So. The boundary that I had to have with my dad, for example, was to say I had two boundaries with him. One was okay because it was, it felt mild. The other one was a bit extreme. The first, I'll talk about the mild one. The first mild boundary, it, it was big for me because it really hit on my deservability, was I just told my dad, because there was a day that he, I was an adult, I was working hard, I was very time poor, and he left me waiting for like almost an hour somewhere. And um, I told him after that day, I, I think he kept saying, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then I just left. And then he got there something like an hour and a bit later. And I was like, where are you? And I was like, I left. He was like, what do you mean you left? And I'm like, I waited for you for an hour. You didn't come, so I left. Oh my gosh. And I was like, my time is valuable. Next time, if you wanna meet me, you need to come on time. I will wait for you for 10 minutes. If you're gonna be late, you need to tell me that you're running late. If you don't tell me you're running late, I will wait for you for 10 minutes. If you don't show up in 10 minutes, I will leave. It was uncomfortable for him. And the second time that he did this, where he was late, and I left 10 minutes later, but this time, the first time, I mean, it was tough love, right? So I left and I didn't tell him I'd left. The second time, I left after 10 minutes and I said, And I sent him a message saying, or I tried to call him or something, and then I sent him a message saying, hey, I'm going. 
um, I've waited for you and you didn't tell me where you are or what your timelines are. And I left. The third time he started learn. he learned after that he would call me if he was running late and he was like, hi, I'm sorry I'm running late, but I'm on my way. I'll probably be there at 10 past or whatever. And then, you know, maybe he comes at quarter past or 20 past. Okay, fine. Guys, this is a person who used to be hours late, so we can have margin for him. So that was my first boundary. And I'll tell you for free, he never did it again. He never stood me up the way that he did again because my boundary worked. He learned that my time is valuable. And if he wants to see me, because I was also at a point where I had been living without my dad for years, I did not need him. I did not need that hangout as much as he needed that hangout with me. And so he was like, yo, better come correct, otherwise I'm not going to see this hun. And he did. Second, second boundary that I put in place with him, and this was hard. I I caught a lot of flack for this boundary from my family, but I just stood my ground in it, um, was he was not welcome to stay at my house. Because, you know, I went through a period in my 20s where I was having really hectic nightmares about my dad. And I was just like, oh, it was just really hard and really painful and scary. And I was just like, it was because I understand now that I just didn't feel emotionally safe. Right. And it was translating in these ways. And so I just had to tell him, look, you know, I, I'm just not comfortable with you staying with me. And I remember having to tell my mom, I'm okay with you coming. Because then, like, my dad had been eclipsing all, all of my mom's stuff. Like, I was like, I'm okay with you staying with me, but I'm just not okay with him staying with me. And it went so badly. But um, I stood by that boundary and then I had peace. Because the, the big thing, guys, when you have been the victim, especially when it's complex trauma, which I am... A victim of and I still have complex PTSD because of the myriad of things that have happened to me um, I'm getting up because the room I'm in the lights have gone off why have the lights gone off while I'm sitting here can't you feel my heat okay then as I get up they come on again clearly they're motion sensor and I've been sitting too still so um, the thing is I have had to say that It's okay if no one else understands what I need so that I can move forward and feel safe and find health and find healing in my life. If I need to have a boundary that my transgressor doesn't like, I will have that boundary and I will become an enemy. It's okay if if my way of forgiving, and I remember having to say this to um, someone in my family where I was like, I can forgive in my own way. And forgiveness, there is no wholesale forgiveness. So there is no standard that says, if your forgiveness can allow my dad to stay at your house, but it doesn't allow him to stay at my house, it doesn't mean that my way of forgiveness is wrong, right? I don't have to do what you do to prove that I've forgiven. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I can forgive in my way. And that's the thing about forgiveness, right? Is that, that's why I kind of don't really like that word, because I think people start saying forgiveness must look a certain way, otherwise it's not real or it's not valid, or it's not lasting. But that's not true. For me, I found that you have to do whatever it takes for you to have peace, for you to have safety. Oh my God, for you to have internal, emotional, and physical safety. Fuck the world. Guys, fuck everyone else. Especially when, if you've listened to my suicide episode, like when you have things like depression, anxiety, and suicide in your history, you cannot afford to fuck around. So it does not matter what someone else thinks about whether or not I've forgiven and the quality of my forgiveness and the way my forgiveness expresses itself. 
Because the most important thing and the only person that I am responsible for is me. I'm not responsible for how anyone else perceives me and perceives my choices. And it was very hard for me in my 20s to kind of sit in that. It was in my early 30s, really, because that's when I'd started doing the work and started being feeling strong enough to start having these like difficult, holding these difficult positions in my family because I was the only one going to therapy. I, and I still am the only one going to therapy in this way, right? And I'm not trying to say my, my therapy is better than anyone else's. It, you know, people do different things. But, like, different people have gone to therapy for short periods of time. Different people have, like, there's just a level of going deep that sometimes it feels like I'm the only one who is seeing the situation the way that I am. Granted, I'm an individual, so my interpretation, my experience of the same event is always going to be different, but I'm entitled to my experience, interpretation, and um, the impacts of people's behavior on me, and it's okay that it was different to the behavior on others, the impact on others. So that's why I don't really like it when there's like a, a definition of forgiveness, right? Um, I think the most important thing is acceptance and peace. So I wish people didn't say, oh, forgive this person. I wish they just said, come to peace. <laughs> come to peace with what has happened so that you can move on and find abundance. Because me having the boundary that I had with my dad was the only way I was able to get to a place where we could have love. Because your boundary is the safe distance at which you can love someone without resentment and they can be free to be themselves. Because the moment you need someone to not be who they are in order for you to engage around them intimately is the moment you're not forgiving and you're holding them ransom. And that makes you a terrorist, right? Because I've seen in relationships where one person is meant to be the victim, but they end up victimizing their, their oppressor or their aggressor because they will not do what they need to do to take care of themselves. And so, for example, a person who's verbally, um, who is physically abusive, who's in a physically abusive relationship, let's say the husband is abusing her, I know I'm, I'm speaking in traditional gender roles, but physically that's more likely, right? The, the wife or the less um, physically developed, oh, what do you want to say? The less strong partner, physically strong partner, can then fall into um, verbal abuse because it's like, yeah, well, you ain't shit, and, and you're a horrible person, and you're da 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 And then they want to tear down this person because they, they want to feel powerful in some way. And in doing so, they become an aggressor. Instead of just putting a boundary in place and leaving, or saying, if you hit me, I will go. I will report you on the cops. If you rape me, because you know you can be raped in a marriage, right? If you rape me, I will leave, right? And that is a boundary. Or you are not welcome in my home until you shift. If you're going to come here and be drunk and you're going to drive our kids drunk, then you're not going to have access to the keys to the car because that is dangerous. And that's the only way that you can then keep yourself in peace, keep yourself in abundance, keep yourself in the highest virtues of your character so that you're not denigrated because of bitterness, because you've refused to accept, take yourself to a place of peace and protect yourself with boundaries. You're, you're absolving, you are absconding from the responsibility that you have to yourself and you're self-abandoning and you're trying to hold someone else to a responsibility that is yours. So that is where I would say that the conversation is less about forgiveness and more about acceptance and then self-management, right? And self-protection and the guardrails you need to have in place. Whew, guys, my temperature got up.
I, I feel like I need to take a deep breath. Let me take a sip of water. <laughs> hmm. I've noticed in me that when I talk about things where it becomes about like defending people <laughs> and protecting yourself, I get very fired up, right? So I'm saying this to say like, how do you stay in love, right? How do you stay in in love and in the abundance of your own heart. Sometimes the only way that you can do that is to really look at the situation, accept it for what it is, and go to a space where even if you're living in a little corner and there's no one in your little corner because all the people who quote unquote loved you or grew up with you or are your family are so painful for you to be around or so hurtful. But when you go to your little corner, you find a ray of light and you find peace and you find um, the aspects of yourself that you abandoned and you can reintegrate them into yourself and bring them the love that no one else has been able to bring you, then do what you need to do, right? Don't forgive. Like, don't forgive until you're ready to forgive. Don't let go until you're ready to let go. And if you're gonna let go, only let go when you're strong enough to hold yourself and to hold a boundary. Because until you're strong enough to hold a boundary, don't let go because maybe that anger is what is going to protect you and keep you safe. You know what I'm saying? So, guys, that's the episode. Um, there's more I could say, but I really think that's the end of it. Like, I think that at the end of the day, what we're called to, and I think what's really hard for us as Africans, um, because we grew up in, in these like, communal environments and there's this narrative amongst us as black people and black Africans that like family is everything, family is right or die. Even me having a podcast like this is completely taboo, right? Because I'm saying shit about my family. That's like, we're supposed to be dysfunctional in secret and amazing in public. But no, you have to be like amazing in secret and dysfunctional in secret and amazing in public and dysfunctional in public. Because sometimes, because that's living in reality, guys. There's no way that we're ever gonna evolve as a society, as a group of people who have experienced debilitating trauma at the hands of our parents who just didn't know better if we do not find our voice. Your voice is the key to your healing. So things like this are so important because if I'm able to talk about this, maybe you'll be able to own and acknowledge your experience and maybe that will bolster you to be able to have the conversation that you need to have with your family or to be able to explore whether there is someone that you fake forgiven or you've forgiven in the wrong way, where you're forgiving and saying it's okay, keep doing it. And that's not forgiveness, that's actually rolling over and self-abandonment. And so throw away the definition of forgiveness and rather engage in the process. What is the process that brings you to healing and reintegration with yourself? That's what matters the most. That's what we're here to try and do. That's why we go to therapy. That's why. That is why. There is a book that I've loved, um, which is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And in her book, she gave me the language for self-abandoning. Because there's so much that we do that we don't realize is actually an abandonment of self in service of pleasing another or, or keeping peace and keeping harmony or keeping up appearances. I mean, it is nuts that I'm on this podcast talking about my experience growing up when I have parents who are as famous as mine are, right? Like my father signed the money that we exchanged in Zimbabwe. Like he is known. My surname is recognized among a certain generation. So what I'm doing, 
like it was hard for me to even get to a place where I, I would feel comfortable saying my experience of my childhood. But not saying it was making me sick and keeping me sick. And I had to be able to speak because I speak about everything. That is my tool of healing, you know? And, and I think the most important thing is to be able to hold the complexity because you've heard in this episode that, yeah, my dad did some shit things, but he was not a shit person, right? He was just a wounded person who was loving me the best he can. And so if I can hold both to be true, then I can hold my experience of him on both ends of the spectrum and lovingly hold that, right? And I'm not, I am not immune, right? I'm sure that there are members of my family that also think that I've done shit things. And of course I've done shit things because I'm a human being and I have a story. I know why I'm this way. And I've been actively seeking to change my future story because I can't change my past story. I can only change how I respond, right? And so I have to hold the discomfort of moments I've been selfish and um, insular and rejecting of others and completely unavailable and maybe bratty or whatever, right? All those things that might be my blind spots, I have to hold them. So I'm willing to take the medicine that I give. And that's why like sometimes this thing around people use forgiveness to silence victims. And the reality is forgiveness is a very, very mature and difficult space to hold with love, right? Because in a place of forgiveness, you have to say all of us are flawed and none of it was okay. And I will still celebrate and see you for the beauty that you are, and I'll hold you to the things that aren't great about you. And if you aren't willing to grow and change or show up differently with me, I will move away from you in that space and in that regard until you choose to show up differently. And it's okay, I might be wrong in the thing I'm choosing to move away from. When I get that wisdom and insight, I'll come back and maybe I'll apologize or maybe I'll try. But the whole point is to live in your truth right? And to be able to hold the complexity of both. Because that is maturity. That is the invitation of life. It is not to live in some binary world, but it's to live in an, in an abundant um, definition or awareness or, for, or version of reality where people are both aggressors and like beautiful lovers, right? And let's forget about the word forgiveness if it doesn't help us to do that, right? And, and I think let's not let people use forgiveness as a tool to manipulate us and keep us silent and keep us victims and keep us not growing because our liberation threatens their subjugation of us, right? And that's why you have to be so careful about you know, forgiveness rhetoric and how it's used because it can make you doubt yourself. It can make you doubt your reality. It can be a form of gaslighting where people then say, well, you need to have forgiven. By now, you should have forgiven. Fuck that. There's no timeline on forgiveness. And if you keep being an aggressor and keep doing this again, forgiveness will not come, right? And, and if you're saying that by forgiving, this person who did this to me is not going to be held to account, whether it's by a church or whether it's by a political party or whether it's by the government or the law, right, or, or me as your lover, then no, I will not forgive you 
Because forgiveness is not an excuse for people to keep doing the shit that they do to you. And no one deserves forgiveness. It's a thing that you give because you want to give it, because you're ready to give, to give it, and because it's an abundant act for you. It is not a fearful act to try and make someone still like you and try and make someone you know, still feel good about you or not feel bad about themselves. So sometimes even when, someone is, when people have cheated or people have hurt us, we try to accelerate us, ourselves through the necessary, uncomfortable feelings of hurt, pain, you know, fracturing, disappointment, um, fear, sense of abandonment that we have to be in so that we can really accept what's happened to us. And we try to save other people from the parallel process of experiencing their shame, their disappointment in themselves, their guilt because of what they did to us. And sometimes we will bypass all these things and rush to forgiveness because we don't want and we're uncomfortable with the discomfort of those messy, difficult, hard, terrible emotions and that difficult, impossible grief that both parties will feel. The grief the aggressor feels at what they did to someone else when they really see what it's cost them and, and what it's caused in the other. And the grief we feel that this person maybe we put on a pedestal or this person we've been in this experience with has like brought to us the pain they've brought, the change in the paradigm and, and the new reality that we now have to live in, which is like, I, I'm actually in love with the person who can do this to me and who treats me in this way. And actually maybe this relationship isn't healthy for me. That's a grieving person. And you can't bypass that by running straight to forgiveness, right? And saying, okay, I accept what happens. Oh, okay, I forgive you. Oh, okay, we're friends again. No, we're not friends. And we will not be, sometimes we will not be friends for years. Or we will not be friends for a long ass time. Because that is how long it's going to take me to work through my feelings. And to get to a place of, you know, processing, acceptance, peace, and abundance in this thing. And guess what? My process of healing and accepting and understanding you and empathizing may not result in you being invited back into my life or being able to be who you were to me before because it is my prerogative to decide what lives on the other side of that process. What forgiveness is going to look like for me? What boundary I'm going to need to have so that I am okay? Okay, guys, soapbox is done. And I'm calling it a soapbox, but it's like... These are things that are fought for. That's why you hear fire in my voice. I fought for them because I, I spent my whole life having to solve for other people's feelings, having to solve for, are my parents okay right now? This is what happens when you're a hypervigilant child and when you're a people pleaser. It's because you had to abandon yourself and exit your own experience and reality in order to protect the reality of someone else and the fragile emotions and the fragile egos of the people around you. And when you grow and you go and you do healing, you start being able to give yourself permission to have your experience, right? And have your reality. And that's why you, you hear fire and my voice because I've had to fight to have that back because it was something that was robbed, that was taken from me when I was young, that I was not allowed to be. I was not allowed to be sad. I was not allowed to be hurt. I was not allowed to tell my parents I was disappointed in something they had done. I was not allowed to voice, you know, you know, my pain, right? I was not allowed to require for you know require restitution and an apology from my parents when they hurt me because my parents had to be these perfect people. Anyone who's a black African has experienced the same. Like the majority of us have experienced exactly the same thing. So when you get older, 
Sometimes you have to throw away this definition of forgiveness and the requirement to forgive and say, no, fuck that shit. I'm not okay. And I don't want to forgive you because I'm allowed to feel how I feel because we were never allowed when we were younger. That's why you hear fire in my voice right now. Because you have to go through that experience of like, I'm going to fight for my right to not forgive unless I fucking want to forgive. So that you can get to a place of peace and calm where you can say, okay, I forgive because I choose to forgive. But before you get there, I think there's an anger and I think there's a fire. And I think there's a, you know, a justified like, no one gets to do that to my little inner child. She deserved better and she deserved love. Anger is so useful because it's the fire that helps us stand for ourselves and choose what will be most supportive for us. Oh my God, I keep trying to end the episode and more keeps coming. But clearly, I, I really think this is a message from spirit. I think it's a message from life and from the universe who loves us, that loves us so much, which is just saying you have a right to be here. You have a right to be treated well and you have a right to not fucking feel things that people tell you you're supposed to feel until you're ready to feel them and until you've processed through them. And it doesn't mean you must now like use these feelings as a shield to um, avoid you know, doing the work of healing and doing the work of going within and looking at the hard feelings, right? Because sometimes anger is an easier emotion to feel than devastation, right? But anger is the pathway to the realization that I'm so angry because I'm so devastated and I'm so hurt. Anger is a pathway. It's, it's a road. And we can't get to where we want to go if we don't let ourselves feel, you know, the feelings that will open up right, our awareness of this was wrong, right, and anger is often like that feeling and that fire that motivates and creates the energy that can create the healing. All right, guys, now I'm actually officially done. I love you all. This is some tough-ass shit, but we can do it. See you next time.